Today on Subscribing to Wellness, we are joined by Pop-Up Grocer founder, Emily Schilt. Pop-Up Grocer is the first ever pop-up grocery store to satisfy a need for exposure for new brands and a space for discovery for consumers. The store features 400 plus new products from the most innovative and exciting food, beverage, home, pet, and body care brands. Emily just opened the Miami store, which will be open until February 27th. We're super excited to have her on today. Emily, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So great to have you on today. So for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about your background and who you are? Sure. Well, I'm Emily and I am currently the uh, founder and CEO of Pop-Up Grocer. My background, I guess I've been in this space, that being the consumer packaged goods space for the entirety of my career. I got my start really, uh, my first big girl job anyway, at what was a tiny yogurt startup at the time. And you'll now know as the behemoth that is Chobani. And that sort of catapulted me in the brand marketing space. And I became a consultant for small food companies after that. And it's during that time and in that experience that I came up with the idea for Pop-Up Grocer. That's my professional background anyway, which I don't usually like to lead with. And I always like to say, you know, rather than like what I do, I, I define myself as being a curious person, which is also aligned with my profession. I love that. So going a little deeper into Pop-Up Grocer, can you tell us what Pop-Up Grocer is? Sure. Pop-up grocer is the destination to discover new grocery items. So we feature new products exclusively, all better for you, all better made, really better for all, better for the environment as well. To date, we have opened, let's see, six pop-ups, I believe is accurate. And so we open for 30 days at a time. We feature somewhere around 150 brands, 400 products, And we've traveled to different cities across the country, introducing people so that they can discover those products. And moving forward, we will have that discovery experience in pop-ups, but also in new formats as well. That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about how you discover these brands or do they discover you and then how you kind of stock the shelves of these stores with like what your focus is? Both sort of a symbiotic relationship at this point, as far as how we source brands, but we don't work with a distributor, which is a key differentiator for us and your typical grocery stores or even many boutique grocery stores. So we work directly with founders often or otherwise small teams. And a lot of the brands we find through Instagram or now by referral from brands that we've worked with and sort of the broader food community. I should also say that not all of the brands and products that we feature are food and beverage, large majority are, but we also feature health, pet and body care. But yeah, a lot reach out to us as well because we may not know that they exist. They might not have a website yet. uh, And typically we are the first quote unquote retailer for the brands that we work with. I mean, we really exist to be a launch pad for them. So we're grateful that people come our way. Yeah, that makes total sense. So do you kind of see yourself as that 
because you don't work with a distributor and there and consumer brands aren't needing to pay then a middleman, do you see yourselves as kind of that like really middle point in a brand prior to them getting into like a bigger store, like a Whole Foods or an Erewhon or a Target or something along those lines? Is this like a middle stop point for them to get recognition? I refer to us uh, sometimes as an influencer retailer. I would say like Erewhon is that actually, uh, but they just don't structure their business model to align with that. So our business model really positions us as what I believe we are, which is a platform for possibility. Once you are inside our doors and on our digital channels, a lot of sort of launchpad things can happen from there. You could get into a larger retailer, which then is a really viable sales channel for you. You could get attention in the media. You could make a really strong connection with an investor, et cetera. So for that, we charge a flat marketing fee. We call it a showcase fee. And then there is a really favorable rev share for the brand for sales of the product inside our stores. And so, yeah, rather than in a traditional retailer setting, you'd pay slotting fees, you'd pay marketing fees, you would pay the distributor. Obviously, the distributor is buying your product, but oftentimes if it doesn't sell, you have to buy it back from the distributor. You are paying promotions and couponing, required demoing. Like It's astronomically expensive, actually, to be in a store. So it's pretty accessible, actually, to be in ours. Yeah, I think just to... To center in on one kind of point that you made that I think is extremely valuable is just the point on slotting. And I think just for our listeners, some, some won't know maybe the term slotting, but slotting is essentially a fixed fee that you literally just have to pay to, to get in shelf in a traditional retailer. And so if you imagine an emerging brand that obviously does not have nearly as much capital as a big kind of powerhouse brand at a big strategic, paying that slotting fee for every SKU that, that gets onto shelf can obviously be a massive fixed cost in an early stage of, of a consumer brand's life. And so I think it's just a huge value add that you're kind of offering kind of an escape from that kind of forced cost that a lot of early stage consumer brands have to face early on in the lives of their businesses, unless they have some kind of insanely strong relationship with a buyer who's willing to kind of cut some kind of deal. Yeah. And oftentimes what we've heard from our brand partners uh, is that they're able to take the sales data from their time within our stores and use that in retailer conversations, which may offset the risk, which is really why the slotting fee is there for the retailer and thus eliminate it or reduce it when that, you know, when that conversation comes. Yeah. Because even, I mean, obviously the slotting fee is is extremely standard kind of in a big grocery store, but even in like off prem, I mean, on premise at a bar, like try, I was talking to a brand the other day that's trying to get into Encore Win and, and kind of Encore Beach Club in Vegas. And even to just get into that kind of premise, obviously that's not a grocery store, but it's, you know, many thousands of dollars. So it's just such a killer to an early stage brand in terms of capital efficiency. If you raise, right, like a hundred K seed round from friends and family, imagine 20,000 of that going to slotting fees. It's, right. it's tough. It's tough for sure. So I think it's extremely yeah. valuable what you're doing. Yeah. And I had no idea any of this when I started this business. <laughs> I thought I was just creating like a cute marketing activation, you know, yeah. and then I realized the potential for us uh, is much greater in that we're just an accessible path to retail for a lot of these small brands. You mentioned they pay kind of this fee that's under your kind of like marketing fee. I was wondering, 
because of your expertise in the consumer space, how do you help brands once they're in your store, as well as then beyond your store? Do you help them with getting connections with other larger retailers or building those networks or kind of it's in your shop and then they leave kind of and go on their merry way? Uh, As much as we can in terms of developing that network and ensuring that they have eyes on our curation. And that's both digitally, physically, and locally. You know, we really work hard with each city that we visit to get local members of the retail grocery community, as well as the media and influencers uh, in attendance. And then we orchestrate events as well and really work hard to connect our brands to each other so that they can also facilitate connections that they've made with others. But beyond that, you know, it's really up to the brand themselves to make the most of that then that they can. When you think about brands that then go beyond pop-up and and do kind of like try to break into a Kroger or a Whole Foods or an Erewhon, what do you think, just based off your experience, you're kind of like the I would say like the pilot before they go right into these bigger retailers in a way. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges that that brands face in terms of kind of getting that right visibility once they actually have been accepted into Kroger, ensuring that there's that in-store execution, and then also just in terms of staying relevant on shelf and performing long-term? I think it really comes down to marketing and brand. I mean, that's ultimately why we created pop-up grocers because the visibility in store is really just not there unless as right. we've said already, like unless you really pay for it, unless you're getting the end cap or you're paying for a certain number of SKUs, which is going to allow you then to stand out within the sea of other competitive products. I mean, that's the difference in our space as well is that we have like one to two brands per category, you know, one to two alternative milks, even not to oat milks. So it's kind of a non-competitive space, which couldn't be more different from a whole food. Yeah. I mean, you really just have to work extremely hard to be seen on shelf. And obviously I think the brands would say that trial is extremely important as well. So that's a sort of resource intensive aspect of being in a major retailer is the, the demoing and the sampling, but a pretty important one. Yeah, that that hyper-fragmentation, I agree, when you go into a big retailer, just reinforces how important brand and marketing, to your point, is. One of the big things that we see is that's super important that consumers typically gravitate towards is founders' stories and, you know, the backgrounds of these brands. How do you ensure that you're telling these stories or what's kind of the... What does the store look like or give accessibility to in terms of some a buyer coming in to be able to learn more about these products? Yeah. I mean, that's what we're really interested in is like contextual shopping. That's what you're getting in our experience and complement to your routine click and ship buying on Amazon is the backstory and the understanding of the ingredients and the founder story and sort of the emotional aspect as well as the informational aspect of any given product. So yeah, I think that's becoming extremely important to people, but really difficult to differentiate in sort of the the sea of products that are available to them. You know, there aren't people, it's hard to even just find someone to like help you reach something on the tippy top shelf in a big grocery store, um, let alone someone who can 
share with you the intimate insight into how it was made or why it was made. Yeah. Switching topics a little bit more on like pop-up grocery, like strategy. So for example, when you go to a temporary, like pop-up location, so you went to Chicago, for example, do you just kind of seek out a a building that happens to be like willing to lease out their space that happens to be in like a, a good high kind of presence location with within kind of the Chicago area or how does that kind of decision come together? Yeah. Um, and we, we picked the city first according to consumer demand. So where our people want us to be or where we're seeing people request us to be the most and then where that intersects with the demand from our brands. So the markets that they're looking to get exposure in or support retail expansion in. And then once we've identified the city, we pick a neighborhood that makes sense according to foot traffic, but also maybe there's some residential. uh, So, you know, like foot traffic, like tourist or destination traffic, but then some residential office traffic as well. And then I guess sort of like a brand alignment. We're typically in neighborhoods that are like a little edgy or a little quirky because they have a strong creative community. So like we were in Wicker Park in Chicago, in LA, we were in Venice. In New York, we've been in like the Soho Lower East Side area. Very cool. All all amazing areas. And then just in terms of like your audience, you talk about your community, where your community like wants to see you. Talk a little more about like what that community kind of consists of. Is it predominantly just people like you and I who are just excited about food and Bev might be foodies just really wanting to like try like new brands and see what's out there? Do you formally invite investors out to the pop-ups who might just be trying to see what kind of new brands are emerging in the space or, or how does that kind of look? Yeah, our community is largely made up of, I guess, what I would call curious or conscious consumers. So the people who are maybe one level less involved than you and I, like in a professional sense, but really, really adamant about the things that they put in and on their bodies, maybe also consider themselves somewhat of an authority, whether that's in more of like um, confirmed or what's the word I'm looking for? Like, um, whatever, more of like a confirmed way, like someone who's a member of the media or an influencer, or just someone who, you know, in their friend group, they are looked to, to be the one to recommend products. And then in addition to the sort of regular people, (laughs) we've got uh, investors, buyers, retailers, media influencers. Very cool. I think it's interesting because we've worked a little bit as well with Brian Fulmer, who does First Look. And first look, if you've heard of it, is this, it's it's actually an e-com kind of model to what you're doing. He will send investors a box of emerging brands to their doorstep. And so then we'll try them in home. And then I see this as kind of like the retail complement in a way to, to that kind of business. So it's just cool to see the two different models working so well. And just a question, would you plan to open a permanent location ever? Or is this always about kind of bringing new news to new cities? Yeah. So like I said, we'll be introducing new formats. We have introduced e-com where we have boxes, both curated and build your own. We'll introduce subscription for that at some point next year as well. And then we will introduce permanent stores. I say plural a little hesitatingly because um, our first one has already been a challenge to get off the ground, but New York real estate, I think I was not prepared for how unique uh, it is. I've also only ever done 45 
day leases this is <laughs> 10 to 15 years. Especially, so. Yeah, especially with people coming back from like COVID. Oh, I mean, now COVID's kind of ramping up again, but I, I just felt like everyone was coming back trying to purchase and it's just the prices are just outrageous, I imagine. Yeah. Also, I think landlords are like a little bit in wait and see mode. Um, yeah. They don't want to lock in 15 years against what they think is like a COVID price. Um, right. I also think that they are unwilling and have been for years now to admit that the retail landscape has changed. But anyway, so yeah, so we were initially planning to open our first uh, permanent store here in New York in October of this year. And then now it's planned for the spring of next year. So cross your fingers for us. <laughs> Absolutely, I will. <laughs> but yeah, so basically how that will work is we'll maintain the essence of the pop-up in quarterly rotations. But otherwise the concept is uh, still the same. It's like one never-ending pop-up basically. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, we're not changing our name, which is what a lot of people have asked me to. And I spent a good chunk of change on a naming exercise only to uh, keep ours. So it happens to the best of us. We would love to kind of transition into our favorite part of the podcast, which we like to call rapid fire. No pressure. I know the name sounds scary. Your favorite product in your fridge or pantry right now. Okay. In my fridge, midday squares. I, to be honest, didn't really get it just looking at it on my computer. And then I ordered some and I tried them and I might not ever be without them. Pretty upset. Yeah. What's your favorite uh, flavor? The, the peanut butter. I can't say yeah. the way that it's printed. But. Peanut butter. <laughs> peanut butter. Interesting. Peanut butter. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm made of peanut butter at this point. Oh. It's <laughs> like my number one favorite food. So, What's your favorite peanut butter brand in like the cool CPG space, I guess? I don't have a favorite peanut butter that's in the cool CPG space. I probably am not allowed. To, that's very off-brand thing for me to say. But I would. But I think that's because the on-brand thing to say is that I've in the cool CPG space we've evolved beyond peanut butter, right? Uh-huh. So, like in my cabinet right now, I have granola butter, and they just came out with an apple pie flavor. And why? Why is the brand name Oat House? Oathouse, thank you. I think it's because yeah. it recently changed. Yeah. I don't know if that's my favorite thing in my pantry. I'm really into tinned fish. So probably Fishwife, the trout specifically is my favorite item for like a quick snack or lunch. New consumer trend that you are excited about. Well, I can tell you since this is rapid fire, like all we have all all we work with is our new consumer trends. This is a difficult question for me. What we're seeing a lot of, interestingly enough, chocolate hazelnut butters. So like better for you Nutellas, a number of those across our desk and inside our stores this next year. Also, a prediction that we have made for next year uh, based on some things we're seeing and COVID and masks are better for you breath fresheners. So did you guys ever take in like TBH, Nutella or Retreat spreads? I I love those two brands. They're great. Yeah, we see them all. (laughs) Gooey, dough, can't drip. Yeah, yeah, they're they're all great. Even Gia just came out with one. Yeah, Everyone's doing it. it. Gia came out with one. Oh yeah, my that God. was like a special edition. I thought holiday thing. It looked awesome. Yeah. But I wonder if it's a permanent skew if it did well. It looked great. Well, groovy and retreat. Yeah, there, there are so many. This might be a tough one. Biggest brand that's been through pop-up grocer. Like they've been in the store and now they're on their way. What's like kind of the biggest name brand that has been through the store? 
Yeah, I mean, really not to toot my own horn, we just have so many success stories. The, the, the three that immediately come to mind are ones from our very first store. So we're talking about my like experiment. So my heart is also with them because they participated in pop-up grocer when they had no idea if it would be a success and any, or, you know, anyone would come. That's fly by Jing. Yeah. Uh, pans, mushroom, turkey. We had in our Austin store, Holy Veggie. Uh, which is a frozen brand that I really love and I couldn't find them anywhere. I found them in the depths of the internet. I believe they were only in Canada at the time. And they told us that uh, we were directly to thank for their, what I believe is a national launch, uh, Whole Foods, because they were discovered um, in Papa Grocer. So that was really cool. Wow. Congrats. That's, That's an awesome story. That's, That's awesome. so cool. That's so, so cool. Last question we ask all of our guests, it just kind of relates to our mission at subscribing to wellness is what are some of your daily habits or weekly habits that you focus on in order to live a healthier life? Well, this is not original, but it is very true to me. So I just have to say it. I'm neurotically a morning person. Like Mm -hmm. this morning I was actually having the thought that I think I've lived a whole life before other people have woken up. I went to the grocery store. I went to an exercise class. I read like seven different sources of news, fired off maybe 10 emails. And that was before nine. And I got on, (laughs) I got on Slack and I was like, why isn't anyone even like here yet? You know, I'm already tired. You must go to bed. You must go to bed before 10. I I don't, I don't. I just just don't really sleep, which is nothing to be, nothing to be proud of. Um, It's not quite on brand. Yeah. (laughs) Right. <laughs> I feel restored though. It works for you. It works for yeah. you. I probably get somewhere around five and a half to six hours a night. I feel all right about it. What are some, I've forgotten the question now. What are some other things that I do? I think I just, I, I think the question, what are some things I do to maintain a healthy life or healthy work life? I think I have a, a pretty good relationship with work. I love what I do. I'm so grateful to do it to have control and agency over it and it is my job so I also have a very full life outside of work uh, and I don't think I would have said that when I was in my 20s it was like all that mattered uh, and was important to my identity was my job so I feel fortunate to be at that point in my life to be old I guess what I'm saying <laughs> something it's good for uh, perspective <laughs> fair enough Lastly, where can our listeners learn more about Pop-Up Grocer or find out where and when you guys are? I guess our Instagram, right now our site, our website, popupgrocer.co is exclusive to our online holiday pop-up. We're celebrating gratitude season. So we have three boxes you can send to people for whom you are thankful and some other assorted merchandise. So yeah, the best place, I guess, for ongoing reference is at popup.grocer on Instagram. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Emily. Have a great rest of your day. And uh, we can't wait until the next pop-up grocer is open. We'll be there. Yeah. Can't wait to see you guys. Thanks for having me. Have a great one. Bye. Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. Feel free to rate, review, and share the podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Wellness. If you'd like to sponsor us, please see the supporter link in our podcast bio. We hope everyone has a great rest of the week filled with wellness, and we'll see you next time.